sometimes it just feels like we're not done singing, isn't it? And uh, if you'll stick around, we're going to sing again before this morning is over. I'll tell you what, I just about came unglued when I saw a husband and wife hug and kiss each other in the baptistry this morning. I just had revival over there. Oh, um, you're going to love getting to know Dave and Adivia and um, precious couple God's brought to our community and our church. Um, a thousand things going through my mind right now. Lord, help me and help you uh, over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. I wonder in this room right now how many people we have, and let's just, let's just say age 21 and younger. So if you've got an infant, you can hold them up, all right? <laughs> so uh, 21 and under, just stand up in the room right now, all right? 21 and young. We got guys flexing up there. <laughs> Look around. All right. So 21 and under. All right. Just look around. Gives you a lot of hope, doesn't it? All right, all right. Y'all be seated. Okay. I want to show you a picture that is um, a photo of my favorite night of the year. It happens every year here on our property. Some of you already know what night I'm talking about. And uh, you look at that picture, and this is uh, just a, a glimpse across the property of our annual all-church picnic. And it is my favorite night of the year. Now listen, long before people started giving away trucks at picnics, It was my favorite night of the year, okay? <laughs> I've been waiting all week to say that. I, just, oh, I was just nervous. Um, I love that night. Mr. Ira Dickerson and Miss Lillian Dickerson are in heaven. But in our chapel almost 20 years ago, Miss Leon Dickerson came to me. I'd been here two years, and she said, Pastor, we're going to have a picnic. And I'd already learned when Miss Leon said it, yes, we are. <laughs> and and uh, we started having this annual all-church picnic, and it rapidly became my favorite night of the year. And here's why. Because it is our one time on one night where every single age and generation of our church comes together and there's food at the table there's music in the background there's conversation and fellowship and the only schedule we have is that dark means it's over okay I really believe it's just a little glimpse of heaven where generations of people would come together at the marriage supper of the Lamb 
generations from all eternity who know Jesus in one place at one time with worship and fellowship. And the only schedule we have is that it's over when dark comes. And in heaven, there is no darkness. Amen. And I think about just that little glimpse of heaven. And it, it is why I'm so eager to get to this message today, to talk about something that's worth it for us. We've taken, now this is our third week, to, to say a world of unlimited opportunities, people with limited time and money and energy. How do we figure out what's worth it? And in the life of our church, we've narrowed down to these four treasures, four uh, buoys, if you will, that we navigate life with, four values that we hold on to. And we said first week, we really believe that the word of God is worth it. And we really believe last week that relationships are worth it. And today, I want to tell you this third thing that just guides us as a church. And that is, we believe that generations are worth it. Generations are worth it. I ask there at the beginning for everyone under the age of 21 to stand. I wanted those that are 21 and under to see how many of them are in the room. I wanted those of us who are over the age of 21 to see how many different generations are in the room. And today, every one of us are a part of an older generation. What do I mean? If you're a middle schooler in the room, you're an older generation to the elementary student. If you're an elementary student, you're an older generation to the babies that are pictured out in the commons today when you leave. Tonight we will have a parent-child dedication. Those children that will be dedicated to the Lord are in photos along the windows out there. When you leave, you'll notice the youngest of generations in the life of our church. If you're a high schooler, you're an older generation to the middle schoolers. If you're a college student, you're an older generation to the high schoolers. And it just follows right on down the line to as senior adults, you're an older generation to the median age or the young adults, to the college student to the high schooler, to the middle schooler, and right on down the line. And in the life of our church, when we make decisions, we, we are making decisions and choices, believing that all generations are valuable. And we are a church that believes 
that believes that generations are worth it. And we believe that the next generation behind us is worth it. And so over time, believing that, it guides us, it directs us. And I want to ask you to look at your own life and see if you, in your generation, are investing in the next generation behind you. I want to ask you to open your Bibles. And it may surprise some of you. Uh, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We may have thought that we put that away for the summer. But we're going to jump way ahead to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. This will not replace Psalm 145 in 2030 uh, when we get to that in that summer. But it is a glance ahead. Psalm 145 I want to read verses 1 through 12 as we think about generations being worth it. Psalm 145, verse 1. It's the last psalm that we have identified as being written by King David. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Why is it important for one generation to commend the works of the Lord to another generation? That's where we start. We value all generations. This verse, Psalm 145, verse 4, says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Why? Why is it so important for one generation for us to take on this value, for that to be in the top four of what we value in the life of our church? And the answer is simple. It's this. The biblical model for instilling our faith into others is primarily generation to generation. The biblical model for instilling our faith 
into others is primarily generation to generation. You back up and you go to the book of Deuteronomy. Some of you have verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 memorized. It's the passage of scripture that talks about taking the law of God and the precepts of God and as parents you teaching them to your children and taking that law and the precepts of God and and putting it on the doorpost of your home and the frame of your doorway it's a it's a picture of in your coming and going that one generation communicates to the next generation who God is and what God says listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 20 uh, verse, uh, verse 20 says, When your son asks you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? First, notice a son asking a parent. Verse 21, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us it is the picture in Deuteronomy where it begins where one generation has the its experience with God and that generation communicates to the next generation what God has done you see this biblical pattern developing of discipleship of investing in the lives of others where people who have come to know the Lord share what they have known about the Lord with the next generation to come it continues into the New Testament you can go to the last letter of the Apostle Paul you remember that letter the last letter of the Apostle, Apostle Paul was written to Timothy in the very first chapter of 2nd Timothy in this last letter one verse there Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. The practical nature of Scripture, where Timothy is serving as a pastor in Ephesus, but as a pastor in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul goes all the way back to his grandmother and mother and says, your faith started there when they instilled in you what they believed. It's a beautiful picture of one generation investing and instilling and discipling in the next generation and in the life of our church. You've seen it visually already in this room. We are not a kids' church. Now, we have one entrance that we call Watt Kidsville, but that's just one piece of the life of our church. If you came in on that end of the building for the first time this morning, you probably thought, this is a kids' church. But you hang around here a little while longer, and you could get in a circle where you think this is a college church 
or this is senior adult church, or this is a youth church. The reality is, is that we are not singularly any one of those, but we are a group of people that have come together of all generations, all generations together, communicating to the generation behind us who God is, what God's done, and that's the next question. Why? Why is that a treasure for us? It's a biblical model for discipleship. Second question, what is it? What are we passing from one generation to the next generation? It's important for us to ask. What are we passing from one generation to the next generation? Are we passing religion? Are we passing tradition? I don't want to be too negative about that. I would be quick to say, yes, in some ways. We are, from one generation to the next, showing the importance of having religious faith. We are, from one generation, passing to another generation, some traditions. And there's some value in those things. If the religion and those traditions are life-giving and point people toward eternal life, they're valuable. If those traditions and religious ritual stand as a barrier or as a gap, if they bring deadness to uh, relationship with God, they're, they're dangerous. But ultimately, what we are passing from one generation to the next generation is not religion and not tradition. What we are ultimately passing from one generation to the next generation, two things, knowledge and relationship. Write that down somewhere. Put, put that in your memory. Hold that together. What is it that I want to make sure that I give as a high schooler? What do I want to show to middle schoolers? As a college student who's faithful to the Lord, what do I want to show to the high schoolers and middle schoolers where I'm leading their small group? As senior adults, what do I want to show to younger adults? What we're giving is knowledge and relationship. Here's the rest of that phrase. What we're passing from one generation to the next generation is a knowledge of God and a relationship with God. And they work hand in hand. To have a knowledge of God is not enough. We, you can go to any university in the nation and take a class on religion and the history of God and the study of God and walk through a lot of different beliefs and thoughts about God. But from one generation to the next, there is something that we're passing. We're passing what we know of God. When you look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's saying, what is it of these statutes? What is it of these precepts? What is it of these laws? And it starts saying, a father tells his son, 
these things about God. And then it moves. A father tells his son these things that this God was able to do. And that's what you see in Psalm 145. When you trace through 21 verses of Psalm 145, there's revelation. We find out who God is. It's one of the beautiful riches of you studying God's word. The, the living word of God, you alone in the word of God, the spirit of God working in the living word of God. You're studying and the word begins to reveal to us who God is. It's revealed in his word. And as you read Psalm 145, it may, it may have become too common to us. It may have become too trite to us. But here in Psalm 145, we find out knowledge about who God is. And this is the God we worship. There's at least 12 revelations here, characteristics, attributes of God. In Psalm 145, you trace through it, you find out about the greatness of God. We find out about the majesty of God. I'm just going to list these out. We, we, we find out knowledge about the greatness of God, the majesty of God. We find out about the goodness of God. We find out about the grace of God. We find out that God is a God of mercy. We find out about the righteousness of God. We find out that he is a God that is slow to anger. Hallelujah. We find out that he is a God that is abounding in steadfast love. We find out that our God is powerful. We find out that our God is faithful. We find out in Psalm 145 that our God is kind and our God is near. Think about just that last thought of God. It would be easy for us to think if God is righteous, if God is great, if God is majestic, God is certainly far off. Can't get to him. But this psalm also tells us that the same God that is great and majestic and powerful is also a God that is, say it to yourself, near. He's near. And that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're passing to the next generation. That's why it's so critical when you walk into a Sunday school class or you're in a small group and the subject of the day is, is to talk about the mercy of God. It's so critical because in your life as you have experienced the mercy of God, you get to communicate the knowledge of that kind of God to the next generation behind you. Well, it doesn't stop there. Not only are we communicating the knowledge of God, we're communicating a relationship with God. Knowledge gives us a foundation. Think about it today. Songs that we sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. One of the characteristics we didn't even name in this psalm is that God is a providing God. Verse 16 says, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. 
Knowledge gives us a foundation for worshiping God. Relationship makes it possible for us to worship God personally. It gives us communion with God, fellowship with God. The knowledge of God's like the foundation of a house. You build on it, but there's no life in it yet. Relationship gives life to the knowledge that we have. A lot of you have a knowledge of God. You got it from your family. Some of you are college students in this room today. Some of you are teenagers in this room today. And a lot of what you have is knowledge. But listen, there has to come a day where that knowledge in your head moves to relationship in your heart. I went to college as a religious good guy people parent pleasing guy who had the tradition of going to church and I went but through the influence of several other people who are older than me my junior year in college, my head knowledge moved to heart knowledge. Listen, listen. And my family's faith became my personal faith. And it may be this very moment right now that God's brought you to for you to deal with all the knowledge you've been taught where God's saying to you, now, are you going to believe? Are you going to heaven based on what you believe? And I would, I would give to you based on my testimony, based on the trustworthiness of God's word. All that you've been taught there about God, believe it, receive it, and know that Jesus Christ died to pay for your personal sin and if you would trust him alone for your salvation, call out to him to save you, then that head knowledge can become heart knowledge. And over the days ahead, you'll see your life changed forever. What we're passing from one generation to the next generation is a knowledge of God and relationship with God. Now here's the third question. How do we pass our faith from one generation to the next? The why is because it's a biblical pattern of instilling in the lives of others. The, the what is knowledge of God, relationship with God. The how is in Psalm 145. And let me, let me give you these four words. If you're, if you're writing notes, you're taking these down, here are, the, here are four words initially that show us how to pass our faith from one generation to the next. The first word is meditation. Second word, declaration. Third word, celebration. Fourth word, continuation. I'm going to say them a few times. First is meditation. It's verse 5. 
Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will, say it with me, meditate. On your glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Here's what that means. For one generation to pass to the next generation, there has to be a private relationship with the Lord. The next generation, they're not going to buy fake. They're not going to buy hypocrisy. They're going to buy genuineness. And us, in order for us to be in a place where we pass from one generation to the next generation, our faith, there has to be a faith. There has to be a personal relationship. And this, this picture here is so beautiful because it comes right out of one generation will come into another. It talks about meditation. That's something that's done privately in our relationship with the Lord. That's in your home, in your heart, and in your head. You spending time with the Lord. And you reading the Word. It's that chair in your house. It's that table in your house. It's that spot out on the back deck. It's your drive to work. It's the lounge when nobody else is around. It's you fishing and you thinking about it in your head, what you read that morning. It's instead of having uh, swing thoughts in your mind, you've got verse thoughts in your mind. You're, you're meditating on on, on the splendor of his majesty, you see a sunrise and you say, those are beautiful colors. Look at the glory of the Lord. It's you seeing the waves. It's you seeing heartache and suffering and thinking about God's word and who he is and how he's working in the midst of all of that. It's meditation. It's, it's over and over and over again thinking about the Lord. It starts there. Maybe a first step today for you, investing in the next generation would be your own private meditation of the Lord, thinking on Him. Second declaration. It's verse 6. It says, They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. Meditation is private relationship. Next is declaration. That's public conversation. It's in our discourse day to day. It's us talking to another generation about what God's done, about who God is. It's bringing him up in our speech. It's including him in our conversations about weather and sports and jobs and politics and the economy. It's, it's, it's Jesus being in our vocabulary in a worshipful way, not in a vain way. It's us declaring, look what God has done. It's giving God the glory. It's giving God the credit. It's acknowledging him in our conversation. And it's amazing how one generation will pick up on what we value when they hear our words valuing those things. I'm pretty certain that my kids... And most of you know where my allegiance lies when it comes to sports. 
I know my kids do. And, and the reason for that is, is because they've seen me, they've, they've, they've heard me talk about it. And in your life, our, our, the next generation is going to know what we value by who we talk about and what we talk about. It's meditation. It's declaration. It's speaking of, the God's, of God's involvement in our life. Third, celebration. That's corporate. Meditation's private. Declaration's public. Celebration's corporate. It's corporate worship. Verse 7. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You know, just a moment ago when we were singing, you know what we were doing? We were singing worship to the Lord. But you know what we were saying to those who are here for the very first time this morning? We were saying something to them about who we value by the way we worship. I was standing in the back this morning getting ready to baptize, and we have a screen that shows what goes on in this room. Usually I'm on the front row here, and I can't see what's happening behind me. The shot of the camera, I could see the room, and across this room I could see you singing, some of you. I, I, could, see, I could see some of you with lifted hands, some of you. I could see some of you engaged. I'm not picking on you. A lot of the room was dark. I don't know what some of you were doing. But when we gather in corporate worship, we, 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 we talk about this as being a celebration. Why? Because of Easter. We have a reason to celebrate because we were sinful, sinners separated from God and Jesus did what we couldn't do, died, overcame the greatest enemy of life, death and the grave, and lives today and we're waiting on his return. That's why this moment is celebration. We win in the end. And so we come in this room today, not to check a box of religion and tradition. We gather in this room, one generation to the next, showing that worship, celebration is valuable to us. We have a God who is almighty and he wins in the end. They said, we, we, we worship, we, we're celebrating, we're unashamed and open in our acts of worship. And the fourth is continuation. Verse 21, the last verse of this chapter says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And when I read that, I was, I was like, okay, for my life, I'm meditating on the Lord. I'm declaring who he is in my conversation. I'm celebrating corporately. How long? Till I'm 65. No. No. Forever and ever. You see, I speak of Jesus. I gather. There's a continuation in one generation communicating to another generation. There must be continuation. I'd call this finish line faith. Hear me. Don't quit on the next generation. Don't quit on the next generation. We have two dangerous threats to the health of our church 
and the spiritual health of the next generation. And if you just tuned in, stay with me, okay? I don't mind being quoted. I don't want to be misquoted. Two dangerous threats to the health of our church and the next generation that we have where we live is opportunity and means. M-E-A-N-S. Opportunity and means. We live in a different world now than a lot of us grew up in. I grew up in a community where we had football, basketball, baseball, and we sprinkled softball in there around the filling the gaps. Went to church on Sunday, on Sunday night, on Monday night, for visitation and Wednesday night for prayer and youth stuff. We played football on Friday nights. We watched football on Saturday and went to grandmother's on Sunday afternoon. We knew who the family was in our community who got the first swimming pool. And everybody was jealous except for the ones who got invited to come over and swim. I lived in a dry county, and most of you in this room right now would think drought. That's not what I mean. <laughs> the only way you could get alcohol in our, in our county was if you knew the local bootlegger, and everybody did. <laughs> or if you had an uncle that had driven to the other county. What I'm saying is, there just wasn't a lot of opportunity. We live in a place, I don't, I don't have the time to go, you know the opportunity. There's three dozen different sports. That doesn't even count those things that we don't call sports that we invest thousands of dollars in just outside of education. We have opportunities. But here's, here's, the, here's the piece that even makes it a bigger threat. We got money. And what that does when you mix means with opportunity, it puts us in a constant battle of deciding between temporary pleasures and pursuits and eternal value and investment. Y'all with me? We all right? I'm telling you, I experience it myself. And it is a threat. It is a threat to the next generation spiritually and to the health of our church. The way we communicate from one generation to the next is for us to keep on. Period. 
just keep on. Maybe the last word we should consider as the band's coming is evaluation. When my dad died, a really strange thing happened. It was given to me, put in my hands, was his will, his computer, and all his passwords. Think about that. Think about when you die, your kids getting your will, your computer, and all your passwords. Listen, all of them. All of them. Can I tell you one of the most glorious gifts of my life was to be able to delve deep into the life of my dad in his will, in his computer, and access with every password and find out that the man I knew was the man that I saw in all of that. And the generation above me that showed me that faith was the foundation for all of life, that giving to the church was important, showed up in his will, showed up in his bank account, showed up in his life. I mentioned just jokingly a while ago about that truck. Do you know, let me, I don't, y'all just trust me, all right? Trust my heart on this. Do you know that before I was ever given that truck, years prior, that my dad gave his car to their pastor for him to drive for all the years that he was at Mount Hope Baptist Church. Isn't it just like God to just say, you know what? One generation, the next generation, show them what's important. I, I don't know how to, it just speaks to me to show me that God's, if, if we'll invest in eternal things, God will take care of the rest. Let's stand together. Let's worship. Let's think about how we can communicate from one generation to the next, our faith. Let's worship him and then we'll go.